And welcome, everybody, to another edition of Sports with Friends. This is episode 284. This is our third or fourth of the month of the year 2021. And today is inauguration day. So we have a new president. The podcast doesn't sound any different whatsoever. And I'm not sure it's going to make a difference. Uh, It's also NFL Championship Week. We're going to talk a lot about that on this podcast. You could also get the latest odds with our head odds maker from Bovada Sportsbook. That is Patrick Morrow, and we'll hear from him in about 10 minutes or so. Our guest today here on the on the podcast is a longtime friend. Usually, I go on his show. I've done that for years. Now, he's between shows. He's going to have a new show real, real soon. He's no longer with a certain fan in Milwaukee. But he has been a longtime radio veteran, a Wisconsin icon. I mean, everybody in Wisconsin seems to know who this guy is. And I can't believe we've had 284 episodes and I haven't talked to Bill Michaels yet. Although Bill has been instrumental in helping set up episodes of the podcast. And we know that to be true. So you've been instrumental behind the scenes. Now you finally get your chance to be in the sun. Welcome, Bill Michaels. And, and it's it's not recorded to where I'm doing the interview with somebody else and you're editing in your questions. So that's kind of cool. No. I'm, I'm liking it all live. Sir, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I, I've never <laughs> heard of that before. <laughs> yeah, well, that story's going to come out. We, we, we might as well. Um, Bill, first of all, welcome. And for those of our audience who knows you, they're like, oh my God, I can't believe Bill Michaels and Seth Everett are doing a show again. But uh, there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast that don't know Milwaukee radio. Tell me a little bit about your career. Where did you start? How long have you been doing this? I, you know, I, you always have a, a certain intelligence on the air. So I just assume you're older than me, but I don't necessarily know that. I am 54. So yeah, that'll tell you. Me. Yeah. I'm a little bit, a little bit older. No, I started, actually, I grew up in Cincinnati. Uh, I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio. And uh, when everybody else, you know, was was in high school listening to all the rock stations, the top 40 stations, I was listening to sports talk. We had Bob Trumpy. Remember Bob Trumpy? Sure. Him and Don Crickey doing NBC Don Crickey, games yeah. years ago. And Don yeah, Crickey was um, an I Miss in the Morning sports anchor. Right, right. So, and Bob Trumpy started doing sports talk at 700 WLW. And as a kid in high school, uh, I thought, this is what I want to do. And, and so I've actually been lucky enough to be able to, 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 to climb to the, the top of the hill and and be able to do this. I started out in a little town called Rushville, Indiana, and I bet you nobody knows what Rushville is famous for. But if you're a NASCAR fan, that's okay. where Tony Stewart got his nickname, Rushville Rocket. So covered a little bit of Tony Stewart. I got my start in a really weird way at the Indianapolis 500. Uh, there was a company called Force One, which is France's version of ESPN, and Jacques Villeneuve and company, they were coming over and going to take a crack at the 500 and and I just happened to be in the pits. I just went there as a fan. Uh, But I had a radio station credential from this little station in Indiana. And uh, some guy pointed and I thought he was pointing at me. So I went over and started talking to him and he was had an interpreter. And uh, I ended up getting a job being turn four, the color commentator for turn four for the Indianapolis 500 that year. Turns out that he was actually pointing at the guy behind me but because that guy didn't turn around and I walked over and started talking to them in the translation, things got screwed up and I ended up becoming the guy. 
Hmm. So I parlayed that tape into a, a television tape back in Cincinnati. And then from there, I went and did some radio in Columbus, Ohio. And I was familiar with Columbus going to Ohio State and such. And then back uh, to Cincinnati. And then, and then finally, I was working at WOW. And I had a couple of guys ahead of me that I knew was I was never really going to beat those guys out for the job. Uh, I had one, which was Andy Furman. And Andy Furman was a long time with Fox. Oh, sure. For, for, uh, Fox Sports. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, excuse me, the two guys that were ahead of me uh, are now big time. One was Boomer Esiason, who you know there in New sure. York, and the other one was Chris Collinsworth. And both of those guys were doing sports talk. So unless I killed them or they died, I was never going to ju- jump right. uh, leapfrog those guys. And then when I they got hired by the Packers, I got hired by the Packers in their flagship uh, back in 1999. Uh, and that's when Collinsworth and Boomer and everybody started you know, splitting off. But we all left about the same time. And right, right. Our careers have taken a... a path but uh, that's that's kind of how i ended up here andy Furman did a show with our trell hawkins on fox sports radio in mm-hmm. the mornings and i used to go on with them uh and then i met andy when i was with the mets radio network uh and we went to cincinnati and we i hung mm-hmm. out with andy had lunch with andy and andy came to the ballpark and uh, you know he was he was great and uh he always uh, seemed like he was the mayor that was the best way to describe him. He was a great guy. And and it's funny because Andy got into some trouble and ended up getting, uh, I think, uh, let go from WLW. And he went on to other things, obviously. But Andy was a guy that was old school. When I would walk through the hallways and everybody else was sending out an email or just responding. This is in the beginning of texts and yeah. phones and such. Andy's still sitting on an old typewriter, typing out letters, sending letters off, licking envelopes, using stamps. And he would write probably 30 letters a day. Uh, I mean, he was a writer by trade, but 30 letters a day. And then one of the things that he'd always told me was just respond. People just re- appreciate if you just respond and say, hello, how you doing? I'll get back to you, whatever. At least people know you care, which is why I feel bad when you texted me a couple of times. I didn't get back right away. I always hear him back in the back of my head. But <laughs> Andy taught me a lot. Andy was, uh, Andy was a very interesting guy. Yeah, and uh, when I when I started this podcast, that was the whole idea was just to talk to my friends. Uh, that was literally the only right. point of it. And sometimes my friends would be famous friends, but it wasn't that wasn't the goal. The goal wasn't to get famous people on a show. It was more about let's just put people that I like uh, on the show. And what I hope that people get from sports with friends is just they know me and the people I talk to, you know, like I, mm-hmm. you don't have right. to love the subject, you know, not every subject is, is for everyone. You know, if I'll, uh, one week I'll have uh, a tennis guy. One week I'll have an Olympic wrestler. Next thing I'll have somebody on NHL expansion and it just goes around and around and around and around. And I, I love that. I love that nature of having a show like this where you could literally do anything. Uh, you, you right. can, you, you can talk uh, up about anything. Um, you're you've been entrenched now in wisconsin though for 15 20 years going on 21 Uh, i got here in 1999 i interviewed in 98 uh got here in 99 and i obviously was lucky enough to see far play as a matter of fact when i got here and i started doing the postgame show on the packers radio network my partner was brian noble former linebacker for the packers but uh brian had a really good relationship with irv far brett's dad and Irv used to walk past our broadcast studios at Lambeau Field and always want to come in and just kind of shoot the stuff with us. 
in that southern draw, and Irv was like the mayor. I mean, you talk about a rock star. Irv was as big a, a big a star as Brett was in Green Bay. So Irv ended up coming on with us. Uh, once they renovated Lambeau Field, Irv ended up coming on and doing the, the postgame show with us. And it was neat because we could talk to Irv Farr and let him critique Brett. Because Irv, remember, was an old football coach. So Irv, we would say, you know what, Brett had a, a really good game, Irv. You know, talk about what you thought. And Irv would say, you know, blank. You know, he'd say he threw that one pass over the middle that got tipped and picked off. Had he pump fake one time? I mean, he was the guy that would critique Brett harder than anybody would critique Brett. And we would know it. We just couldn't say it. So Irv would do it. And and I, I'm telling you what, it was a line of people lined up to uh, to get his autograph and to say hello. But one of the best, best stories about Irv Farr, the best. Irv loved his Budweiser's. Okay. And he, you couldn't get Budweiser at Lambeau Field. So Brett would have Budweiser brought up to his suite. So it comes Christmas time. It's, it's been the entire season coming to the end of the year. And the girl that would always serve us, we did it from a place called Curly's Pub upstairs atop the atrium at Lambeau Field. Okay. And they put us on a stage up there and then they would broadcast it to the stadium. So everybody in the stadium and outside could hear it. So you'd have 60,000 people outside tailgating. And then our show was on on the network. And so the same girl would serve. So Irv, we always made a deal with, because if Irv, who was a bad game, Irv would have a few too many buds before he came down to join us and let, right. let it fly a couple of times. So Irv would come down and we'd say, look, you can have a couple beers in the first half, a couple beers in the second half, but then when you come down with us, then you can start having some beers as the show goes on, because he only spent about an hour with us. And so the same girl would serve him. So we would always have, I drink like Sprite or, or water, and we would all get coffee mugs. And the wink and a nod was always her wanted coffee. And that was fill it with Budweiser. So we had a new girl at Christmas time. <laughs> and you could hear Wayne Larry, the, the Packers, in my ear, you know, and I would always know. The minute he starts to get into the stats and statistics, I got about a minute before we go right, live. Right, right. So we're getting all our notes together. And, you know, she's bringing up our drinks, you know. And I see the engineer in my, in my corner of my eye. And, and I can hear him. He's like, okay, we're about ready to air. We're ready to air. He's like, we got 30 and he's counting me down. You know, he's doing this and gets to five. The girl sets our drinks down and then he goes. And just as he points at me, you could hear her. Who the blank put coffee in my coffee? Because <laughs> she didn't know. Put Budweiser there. And he fired off an F-bomb and it was like an old EF Hutton commercial. Everybody, because it went out over the air. Everybody got quiet, looked. And, and Irv looked at me and Brian Noble's now in tears. He's laughing so hard. And he looks at me and says, everybody hear that? And I said, <laughs> welcome to the Green and Gold Coast team show. How are you looking? You know? And then we just went on. You know, Nobody really acknowledged it. it after that, but that was, that was a More with Bill Michaels in just a second. But you know, Bill's Packers are taking on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in an intriguing matchup. There's also the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs and the status of Patrick Mahomes. And the head odds maker at Bovada Sportsbook, Patrick Morrow, is part of the podcast. Patrick, welcome. How are you? I'm doing well, Seth. I'm, uh, God, I can't believe we only have three meaningful NFL games left. Well, actually, I guess it's just three. I was thinking of the Pro Bowl, but that's virtually this year. We're going to have to figure out a way to get odds uh, on that up eventually. But uh, yeah, feels good. January 19th, uh, the seasonal effective hasn't hit me yet. I think it might be manic energy. It usually hits me after the Super Bowl, but otherwise doing all right. You know, it was funny. Last week, we talked about the two games that were going to be close, you know, small lines, and then there were two giant lines. 
I want to give credit to the Cleveland Browns. They held their own. And that game, especially when Patrick Mahomes got hurt, that was not a sure thing. No, and that that was. I, I think a lot of us were reacting like this. At least, uh, you know, the groups that I the groups that I roll with on Twitter and the sewer that is gambling Twitter. All we were thinking when when uh, Patrick Mahomes ran that read option uh, for a yard up double digit, he was already hobbling. He was already not doing good. I mean, I get he's great, he's dynamic. Who am I to you know try and limit him? But that just seemed like quite the risk. And, you know, it's easy to say after the fact when he went down and missed the rest of the game like that. But uh, uh, yeah, you know, credit to the Cleveland Browns, you know, they kept it close. Uh, they kept it interesting. You know, Chad Henney did, th- uh, you know, we were actually, we were debating what do you call uh, an arm punt, but it's on the opponent's 38 yard line, uh, that first pass that he threw. But he was able to rally late, uh, you know, credit to Andy Reid for throwing on fourth and one at the end, because I certainly didn't think they would go for I think with Chad Henney and what he had just done on the previous series you're probably thinking okay you're gonna get a half-hearted uh you know trying to get some kind of encroachment or neutral zone fraction there but no one's expecting a play call and if they are surely no one's expecting that Henney is gonna be trusted to throw in that spot so credit to Andy Reid going for the win so many other coaches would maybe be inclined to trust their defense in that spot. But yeah, credit to the Browns, great season. Uh, All year, I was kind of down on them from an analytic point of view. I didn't think they were as good as the numbers they had been putting up on the scoreboard. But, uh, you know, they kept it close. They were in there. And, uh, you know, but I I think the best team still got through. And hopefully that best team is with a healthy, healthy Patrick Mahomes. Well, you know, and and I want to call out Andy Reid for a second. He's... His quote, this is his quote. He says, there was a chance back in the day that Patrick comes back in the game. You saw him run up the tunnel. By the time he got to that point, he was feeling pretty good. But there's now a protocol that you have to follow, and that takes it out of the trainer's hand and the player's hand and the doctor's hand. Yes, because guys were getting their heads beat in, and you needed this protocol to keep people alive. Yeah, I I mean, mean, how does Andy Reid? Andy Reid's no rookie here. He has been in this league for a long time. They have the protocols because of reasons. Do I need to talk about Junior Seau? Do you want to talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers? Like, do you want to go dark and in, in, in get in there? Because Patrick Mahomes should not have been able to come back in that game, and it's good that he wasn't. Yeah, and I, and I mean, uh, for a player as good, as young as Patrick Mahomes, who has the potential to somehow be even better as he grows in the game, I, I, I mean, I, I'd want him in bubble wrap out there. I, I it just, it terrifies me, you know, the way that they utilize him, even though it, it's productive. But yeah, I mean, this idea that, uh, you know, even if the Chiefs lost that game, and I mean, you know, Super Bowls aren't a given, but any possibility that you're mortgaging any part of this young kid's future, this isn't his last legs either. And don't get me wrong, it wouldn't be right to do this to a veteran QB either. But uh, from a, you know, if I can be darkly practical or pragmatic on the subject, Mahomes is going to be around for a while, and the Chiefs are going to be successful for a long time with him healthy as a QB. So any semblance of you know, uh, you know, there might have been a time. Yeah, that's true. But you're absolutely right, Seth. Uh, you know, we also ended a lot of careers early, and unfortunately, a lot of lives early too by doing stuff like that. And you know, look, I want him as much as anybody. I, I mean, I'm rooting for the kid. I. I... I actually had a play catch with the kid. I told that story. Have I told that story on this podcast? You have, but you should tell okay. it again. Well, I should. 
the, the concussion protocol, step one, symptom limited activity. Then he has aerobic exercise and can't have any impact. Then it's football specific exercise. Then it's team based non contact training. And then he's cleared for full football activity. And the question is can he get all of that by Sunday? And then they're not doing something to bend the rules. And that's the impact. Now, from a betting standpoint, you don't know because Andy Reid doesn't know. No, Patrick Mahomes doesn't know if he's playing on Sunday. How can a better, what can Bovada do? Yeah, Pat Morrow doesn't know if he's playing on Sunday. So yeah, that uncertainty is, uh, it's, it's currently baked into the line right now. And what we're seeing is two things so far. First of all, we're seeing the Chiefs are three-point favorites at home, which if this was not the AFC championship game, if this was a regular season game, uh, we'd be a little bit more inclined to keep this line off the board uh, just because uh, whether it's, uh, you know, concussion protocol or other injury-related stuff, COVID, we learned a lot this season. This is something we need to be on top of because any announcement on this means, you know, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars pouring in onto a side when that information comes in. Uh, we do have the benefit this week of only having two NFL games that we really need to be paying attention to. And really this Chiefs-Bills game is getting about 90% of our attention so far. I'm not expecting any surprises in injury news, uh, perhaps some breaking weather stuff coming out of Green Bay, but that's about it. Uh, so what can I say about the Chiefs currently minus three at Bovada? Uh, currently getting 50-50 action so far. But I think uh, a lot of uh, when we get, or if we get, I should say, you know, a clear bill of health on Mahomes, we will see that line push way past three, probably uh, easily three and a half, probably four. And I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but getting off the key number of three in the NFL is significant. Something like 18% of all games land on that key number of three or key numbers in football being three, seven, uh, 10, 17, et cetera, et cetera. So it is impactful that it is on that three right now. Uh, what we also have uh, in, I guess, anticipation of uh, this breaking news, whenever it does come out, because we've talked about this before, Seth, uh, we're going to find out about it on Twitter before we find out anywhere else. Uh, because we expect line movement, whether it be in the Bills' favor or the Chiefs' favor, given uh, Mahomes' injury status, uh, we have these lines restricted right now. So you can only get about maybe half the amount that you could normally get on these NFL games. Once uh, Mahomes' injury status becomes a little bit more clear, we will open those limits up. And then usually day of game is when we enhance those limits. So you see this kind of graduation of limits, uh, not entirely dissimilar to what we do on a week-to-week -week basis with regular season games. But again, given the uncertainty around uh, the most impactful player in this game, if he's healthy or not healthy, uh, we've got those limits a little bit lower than usual. Uh, I just want to comment uh, very quickly the Bills money line is incredibly popular in this game. You can get the Bills at plus 135 on the money line if you like to skip uh, that plus three point spread. And this is something that we see a lot at Bovada that when you have a point spread on three, so basically a, a point spread that's representing a push on that key number, it's not as popular with people that like to back the underdog there. They don't like to buy that push insurance. They like to say, well, if they're going to cover that plus three, they're probably going to win or I'm going to get my money back. It's why that plus 135 is that much more attractive to players historically in that spot on the money line. Conversely, if you're a Chiefs fan, you're probably thinking, yeah, you know what, if they win this game, you know, they'll probably do it by three or more. And if it's only by three, I get that insurance. So 
you do see this kind of split a bit where if you're a Chiefs backer, you're a little bit more likely to take that minus three. And if you're a Bills backer, you're that much more likely to take the plus 135. Over under is 53 and a half in this game. So I think whoever's under center for the Chiefs, uh, you know, the Chiefs defense still not particularly great, although Tyron Matthew looked fantastic last week. I think the Bills are going to put up points. I think the Chiefs, even if it's Henny, are going to put up points. Or even a limited Mahomes are going to be able to put up points. Uh, he's not a QB that needs to scramble. He's a fantastic pocket QB. He improvs with the best of them. Even if limited, I think we would expect the Chiefs to score a lot on Sunday. We shall see. If Patrick Mahomes is good to go, that'll have a big impact. If he's not, nothing against Chad Henney, but the Buffalo Bills might be able to pull off an upset. The head odds maker at Bavada is Patrick Morrow. Our thanks to him as always. We'll talk to him next week. Now more of my conversation with the great Bill Michaels. Because you said 99, you were probably there with one of my favorite Milwaukee stories. My Milwaukee, personally, my Milwaukee story, my first one starts in 2001. I was at the opening of Miller Park. Um, mm -hmm. and that, 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 that's a distinct memory because that was the first, uh, stadium opening I think I had ever been to at that point. Um, it was my first year with major league baseball, but two years prior I was in Seattle and one of my best friends who, and I think this story is told on episode 190. So this is 284. So episode 190, scroll back and find the episode uh, Softy, Dave Mahler from KJR in oh, yeah. Seattle. Uh, Dave and I are very close. Dave was a groomsman in my wedding, if there's any context. And uh, Dave is uh, one of my best friends. The game, it was a Monday night game where Mike Holmgren goes back to Lambeau first time as the Seahawks coach and Dave and his co-conspirators. I, I, I don't know who else was with him. Uh, go to Lambeau field. They want to check out Lambeau field and the security at Lambeau field was really lax. This is again, 1999. This is pre nine 11. There's no way anything close to this happens now, but they showed their media passes and they they just wanted to go in and someone let them in. And right. now they're walking in the tunnel of the of the um, of, of Lambeau Field and they go into the Packers locker room. Oh, wow. And my friend and I'll never forget this as long as I live. My friend says, hey, somebody take a picture of me wearing Brett Favre's helmet. And he grabs Brett Favre's helmet and he flips it to put it on his head and index cards with all the plays come out right. and they splatter all over the floor and wow. they panic and they quickly put the index cards back together, put the thing and they make a run for it and they never go back. <laughs> you know, the Seahawks won that game. I do. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Yeah. And yeah, but the playoff can't tell game, me it's not connected. <laughs> right. The playoff game after that was the snow game when yeah. remember when Hasselbeck says, uh, we're gonna we want the ball, we were gonna score first in the overtime in the snow. That was the next time Holmgren came back and uh, they ended up beating them at that's that right. Time. But yeah, that's right. there's some good stories there, yeah. That's a great story. My my um I remember uh President Bush threw out the right. first pitch at yep. the opening of Miller Park and he and he it bounced it. Mm -hmm. And that is the precursor to 
October of that year where he's wearing the bulletproof vest and Derek Jeter says, you cannot bounce it. Right. You know, this is Yankee Stadium. They'll boo you. And that's that famous story. There's an ESPN 30 for 30 about it. It's a classic story. And all I remember from that moment is he remembers Milwaukee. And he right. remembers he, he had a he couldn't adjust to having the bulletproof vest. He needed to practice, and he had never done it before. And he couldn't extend his shoulder, and he bounced it at Miller Park. That is my first memory of being physically in uh, Milwaukee. Uh, the other one was um, the All Star Game, and the fire at the Fister Hotel. Right? Do you, do you know about that one? I remember that? Yeah, and they had smoke up uh, up like the. The, there's a shaft that goes up the middle of that hotel where the kitchen is mm-hmm. and they had a fire within that shaft. Yeah. I, I do remember that because I remember that was an incredible weekend. Um, obviously we ended in a tie. That was the, that, uh, that was the, uh, the, the mudslide on the Sunday. Right. So we had uh, Charlie Manuel wiped out and Charlie, Man- my poor guy, Charlie Manuel wiped out and he was fired by the Indians five days later. Yeah, it was, it was a deluge. I remember they were having uh, batting practice. Yeah. Uh, that they had the batting practice, and Barry Bonds hit not the scoreboard. Now this is this is a 550 foot shot. Right. But there was Kohler. Kohler Company was a sponsor, and the sign was above the stadium, <laughs> and he would have hit it out of the top of the stadium had that Kohler sign not been there. Right, right, right. And as he hit it, we had lightning and rain and everything. So Richie Sexton at the time looks to me and he says, I got to do something spectacular because otherwise he was going to be shown up by Barry Bonds. He ends up hitting one that hits the curve of Bernie (laughs) Chalet's slide in left field and it curves and hooks up into Bernie Chalet. And he said, who thought that I'd hit one into the house that way? And then they started calling their shots after that. And it was was a great night. And unfortunately, the game ended in a tie and that changes changed the complexity of the all-star game and the weight of the all-star game for many years. Yeah, that was, you know, that was unfortunate because it was a great uh, event. It was a great week. Uh, I thought the city, you know, that was my one of my favorite examples of the city embracing uh, yeah. The all-star experience, you know, Seattle right. had done it the year before uh, my first uh, all-star experience was Denver in 98. And I, it's the same, it's, it was the same vibe and Milwaukee really embraced it. What I remember yeah. is the, um, the, the, before we get to the tie, the, the night of the home run derby. So the, the monsoon night is the Sunday night. The Monday is the fire. And I remember I was dating a girl who was staying at that hotel. She worked for baseball. We were dating. It wasn't like anything scandalous. It was, it, we were, we were, I was single. She was single. And <laughs> she, cell phones were not attached to us like they are now. Right. And so she left when they said to evacuate and left her phone in the room. And I had no way of getting in touch with her. And I wow. remember walking up the, parking lot looking at all the guests looking for her yeah and i see bud selig in his pajamas <laughs> and i said i can't get that image out of my head i i like i said it out loud and there yeah. were a couple of people i knew including rob manfred right and i remember rob manfred and i want to say 15 years later now rob manfred hates my guts now but 
Rob Manfred came over to me and asked if I remembered that night. He goes, do you remember that night at the Fister when we saw Bud in his pajamas? And like 15 years later, after he had become commissioner, that was a distinct in, I, 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 image of, of him. And I, I'll never forget that. And it's one of the strangest, strangest events that I'll ever think of because... Like I said, it was so much fun. We had such a great time, and it was such a great experience. I have always, I've never had a bad experience in Milwaukee, ever. Now, did you, did you go to the party the night before when they had built the new art museum in the College yes. Travis display? Yes, the, the, the gala. You crossed paths. We didn't know it because I was there. Oh, that's so and, funny. Uh, yeah, I had gone with a couple of different people, but I was invited, oddly enough, because at the time I was working for the flagship. And so I ended up working for ESPN mm-hmm. to do the celebrity game. And I was doing the broadcast. Oh, the nice. Celebrity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did some stuff. That was with the them. Sunday. That's the that's after the Futures game. Correct. And then Bud had asked me if I would work with them. But my best Bud Selig story, there's a little place in Milwaukee called Gillies, Gillies Custard. They serve okay. ice cream. And it's famous because Bud, when he's in town, usually that's where he ends up at noon. He goes and usually gets his hot dog and his custard and everything. And I'd always heard the rumors, you know, that he was always there. And it just so happened that I had been in that area at this particular time. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to go over. And so I go in and their, their custard's really good. And so I go in and I get a little cup of this stuff and I'm kind of sitting there looking around. And there's a couple of guys, you know, that are standing around in darker suits. And I'm kind of thinking to myself, you know, they look like they're here to protect or guard or be with somebody. They just, I don't know what they're doing. And I look over in this Lexus parked in the back of the parking lot and I see this, this like paper and it's in front of his face. It's a hot dog wrapper and it, he's got it up like this and he's holding it and you can clearly see him like licking the paper. <laughs> and as the paper comes down, it Bud. Bud's eating a hot dog and licking all the stuff off the hot dog off the paper. And I, so I gave him a wave and you know, every now and then we'll run into each other. There's a good restaurant on the north side uh, that he lives near. Uh, that he lives near. I'll see him every now and then. But yeah, it's, uh, a lot of good bud stories. Yeah, that's great. That, that's that's fantastic. Um, you mentioned Ohio State. You, you're so you're a you're a Buckeye through and through. I uh, I grew up in Cincinnati. Went to Ohio State. Was played there. Tore my knee up, so I didn't really get a chance to to show my wares too much. But, I mean, you go back uh, to 85 and 86, Earl Bruce, the last two years of Earl Bruce as the head coach before uh, they brought in John Cooper. But, oddly enough, uh, the tight end position was being taught by then a young grad student named Urban Meyer. So, you know, you, you go full circle to where he is today. Uh, it was a few years back that uh, I had gotten a nice, nice note. Uh, and whether it was from Urban or somebody signed up, but a lot of the guys that have played there and been through that program and stuff got a nice letter from Urban about, you know, hey, it was a great, you know, thing to be working with the Ohio State Buckeyes and the tradition and such. So, uh, but yeah, I, I I don't necessarily always agree with everything they do, but I certainly think it's one of the you know, top programs in the country, whether you want to criticize it or not. It's still, there's, there's when you mention college football, you always mention Ohio State, Alabama. Notre Dame. There's some blue bloods when it comes to college football. What? How did you handle on the air uh, um, the accusations of the assistant coach with Ohio State and how Urban Meyer knew about it and didn't do anything? Um, the, uh, the the assistant coach the assistant coach was accused of uh, beating the, the the his wife to a 
pulp. I mean, just to, just right. being disgusting. And supposedly, allegedly, and this is all allegedly, uh, she told uh, Urban Meyer's wife. Right. Now, it's my podcast. I'll say what I want, but there's no way he didn't know. And he did no. nothing. I agree with you. He didn't do anything. Um, it was the job and upsetting the apple cart versus the well-being of somebody else. And you lose a lot of respect for Urban in that particular case. Um, and obviously he's had, you know, transgressions in the past where if you watch the, the Aaron Hernandez story, you go down to Florida and look what happened down there. And he knew some of the, some of the things going on behind the scenes regarding Aaron Hernandez. And he is the prime example of an incredible motivator of men an incredible gatherer of talented leaders of men and an incredible strategist when it comes to leading. But when it comes to the day-to-day care, love, and concern for certain people, don't upset the apple cart for the program because the program is my program and it's a whole versus the individual warts that are on the whole. And I don't mean to diminish, you know, somebody beating their wife as a wart, but he looks the other way. And and that is a crime. I mean, that is a shame because he had the power. It was unconscionable. It. Yeah, it, yeah it, he, it was awful. He had the power to change it. He had the power to bring it to light. He had the power to not only bring it to light, but to then take it further and be a promoter of anti-violence against women and take a stand and really use his platform He's to say, look, yeah. I will not tolerate this. Let me set the standard for every other coach in the, in the NCAA or anywhere else for that matter. And instead he chose to look the other way. And to me, that's the coward's way out. Why, why is it that, and this sounds really weird, but I don't understand, look, I, I, I don't understand abuse. Uh, I don't understand Sandusky, for example. And I used to say, if you need to listen to me to talk about uh, what Sandusky did was unconscionable, then tune to another place. Because there's no, there's no that, that's, that's Captain Obvious. What I right. don't understand is, like, what you just eloquated so brilliantly is why doesn't Joe Paterno put a stop to it? Why doesn't Urban Meyer put a stop to it and use the platform? Because especially in this digital age where everything is, is, is posted on social media, and in those days, social media still existed, I don't understand how you can't turn a negative into a positive, and they did the exact opposite. I, I don't get it. Um, I've always said the reason those who don't blow the whistle stand quiet is maybe because they're afraid of their own closet doors being open. I, I mean, I don't know, but that's usually one cause. Okay. Or the other is I've got a lot of success. I don't want to bring a negative light to the program that I'm operating because this would blow such an incredibly dark scandal upon my program. I could lose recruits because who wants to be recruited to where the coaches are allowed to beat their wives or the assistant coaches are allowed to rape children. So I, I, I guess that could hold them back. But I mean, just in the, in the sense of humanity, you have to have a space in your heart that is dark and solid and callous and, and, and gone. If you don't give a damn enough to say, stop, this has to end. I cannot allow this to happen on my watch. I think to be honest with you, I would rather my child, and my kids are in their 30s now, but if my kid was being recruited and he was being recruited by a coach who blew the whistle, who said, I don't care how bad my program gets, I will never allow this crap to I'd love it, right. That's a stand-up guy. That's the guy I want my kid to play for. That's the guy that gives a damn, as opposed to the guy that gets caught 10 years down the road 
knowing that you're a son of a bitch. You know what I mean? So I would rather play and have my kids play for the guy that stands up and, and takes a stand in that case. And, and I agree with you about Joe Paterno. I mean, look, after what Joe Paterno said to the grand jury, I said, had Joe Paterno not passed away, chances are he goes to jail. I mean, he lied to the grand jury about not knowing anything. And then clearly, obviously, uh, according to the insurance transcripts from the case earlier, he did. He not only knew about it, he turned the other cheek. So, um, you know, I, I mean, that that's just a, God, it's hard to believe that that actually happened. It's like we tuck it away in our mind and our memory to say, don't ever let it happen again. But it's such an ugly, ugly scar. But it's it's weird because if you're listening to this of the week that it's released, and like I said, we're releasing this on Inauguration Day. Um, but if you're listening to this in the future, and this is my standard sports with friends line, so bear with me. If you're listening to this in the future, do tell us how the flying car is and let us know uh, how we get out of COVID because uh, I'm very anxious to, to know uh, all these all these things. But um, the week that this is coming out, I'm actually writing a column for Barrett Sports Media about the media and how when Urban Meyer got hired by Jacksonville, there wasn't a comment about the assistant coach or the, the transgressions or anything. Um, I couldn't find it anywhere, and I looked. And yet the hypocrisy of that is the this week there is a story about the New York Mets general manager Jared Porter who I'll be the first person to say I don't know from a hole in the wall but Jared Porter uh sent unwanted and lewd texts to a reporter and was fired in less than 12 hours of the story breaking right and there's some some questions about ESPN supposedly had this story for four years and they didn't do anything, which reminds me of uh, of um, the assistant coach at Syracuse, uh, Bernie Fine. Right, Bernie Fine. Yeah, you know, th- th- because because when the Sandusky thing gave ESPN a bunch of ratings, uh, all of a sudden the Bernie Fine story came back, even though ESPN had the Bernie Fine story for twelve years, did didn't think it was credible and didn't do anything, and then literally took their scruples and threw them away just to continue this ratings watch that they were getting. This was during the the whole Penn State scandal. And what I find unconscionable is how the media just gave Urban Meyer this complete pass last week when his hiring, like, oh, the big question about Urban Meyer is whether or not he takes Trevor Lawrence? No, it's how does any grown man respect a word he says? Yeah, I that that's a great question. And, and- you know, first of all, I don't know how Urban's going to do. We've seen so many quality coaches come from the college ranks into the professional ranks and fail miserably and very quickly lose respect. So um, I, I would have loved to have seen the question asked. I think – and also I think, you, you, you know, you noticed this too. There is a, a legitimate fear of an entity, of an outlet, asking the question and then being banned or not getting – the scoop or the story or the clicks or whatever it is that we're searching for in today's day and age. And that's a sad thing too. The one thing that I've said over and over again, while we do have a tremendous amount of freelance journalists that are out there with cameras and phones and, and recording devices and the ability to garner information, we have also lost journalistic integrity. We have also lost the ability to ask the question and really just want to know the answer to the question because there's always a motive behind it day's day and age it's not really that you're digging for a story i mean you know i don't think we ever come out with say watergate in today's day and age we don't have enough people that want to right they would tweet it too fast right it it would it want it's that's clicks 
and nobody would actually delve deep enough to really find what's swimming below the surface. And, and I think that's part of it too. Everybody's enamored with Urban Meyer and the record and the, the pomp and circumstance of him taking over a Jacksonville, flailing Jacksonville program, rather than saying, look, this guy comes with a lot of credibility, but here's one of the major warts. So what kind of a culture do you figure you're going to promote inside Jacksonville, inside the walls of that front office, if you're going to carry this kind of baggage behind you? And what kind of respect do you hope to gain when you walk through the doors from the female employees inside Jacksonville's headquarters? I mean, that would be one of the legitimate questions. Well, and, and, and you know, I don't want to do this whole podcast on Urban Meyer, but the, the thing that I find fascinating about Urban Meyer, and, and the reason I brought this up to you, is I have talked to Buckeye people. And when I say Buckeye people, either alums, fans, whatever, uh, for for different walks of life, you're you're a Buckeye person. That that's that's right. the way I I characterize you. Um, it's not meant to be derogatory, but there has been this unconditional support for Urban Meyer, and that fascinates me too. Like it, the blind leading the blind. It's the same people who got on me when I said I thought Penn State should have the death penalty. I did because, and my reason for the death penalty was, it was very simple. I I always think of the underlings. I, I, I come from the trenches and I always think that there was some janitor or some, you know, equipment guy or somebody that we're not, we don't know about that knew about this stuff. And if you give right. them the death penalty, they all have to get out of there. They right. all, you know, everybody, you, you wipe clean. By doing what they did, they let somebody slip through the cracks. And so there's somebody still affiliated with that school that knew about Sandusky and looked the other way. No, not in the position that Joe Paterno was in, but some something from that disgustingness still permeates that program. Right. And that's no, what I the death... That, that was my reason. I knew there'd be collateral damage, and people said, what about the small businesses that are outside the, the Happy Valley and all that? And I knew I took all of that into account. But to me, Penn State should have had the death penalty. And what I'm just saying, Urban Meyer, you know, when Fox Sports hires Urban Meyer, I don't care because I don't watch those games. That doesn't impact my life. They're not doing a Syracuse game. I, what do I care? And... Right. But now he's being asked to, to, to lead men. And I was just saying that I thought the journalism was so slanted. And then to see these columns coming out of the woodwork, making Jared Porter, who I'm not condoning for every any second, but Jared Porter is, 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 the, is the villain of all villains. And go, kudos to the New York Mets for doing the right thing. Where are all those reporters down in Jacksonville? Here's two things that, I, I, that I've found uh, over time. I mean, it goes back to like the Ray Rice incident. If you have videos or pictures, we see it. It's ugly. It's right there in front of us. We, we have a gut reaction. If we hear the rumor, we don't see it. As opposed to a guy beating the hell out of a woman versus the words domestic abuse or domestic violence, it softens the blow. And then it's a rumor. And that's what really happened. Did it really do it happen this way? Is the guy that turned the other cheek, is he inherently a good guy? How much of a good guy do you have to be to overcome the stigma of a guy that actually turned his back on a really substantial problem? You know, mm -hmm. I mean, that's the reason, you know, people rallied around Joe Paterno. Oh, it's Joe. He's a good guy. He's everybody's grandfather. He's won championships. He's led a clean program. His players love him. Well, 
the the adoration how much how much bad has to happen before you finally say this guy is not a good guy you can be a good guy and commit a bad act but inherently if you're watching a bad act over and over again you can't claim to then be a good guy and, and that's where i think we start to get into the gray area and the lines being blurred but when you have video evidence or picture evidence versus the rumors and innuendos and the softening of of say um, you know, the, the categoriz categorization of the crimes, that's when we tend to look the other way and we tend to kind of make excuses for bad behavior. Yeah, it, it, you're right. And and there's one other aspect of this, and then we can kind of put this to bed. Um, and that is, you mentioned Brett Favre and the relationship that you had with Brett Favre. Um, are you surprised that he really got away with i mean everything with the, all the things that he was accused of with that young lady with the jets um and that story seemed to have been completely overshadowed and again the only i, I didn't i didn't think when when you mentioned Brett Favre's name that's not where my brain went but that's where my brain went on the day that Jared Porter is fired for essentially doing the same thing my thought when you mentioned Brett Favre and all the things that went on with Jen Stern and others, there have been rumors of others in the past. My first thought is Irv's words in my ears. And that is if Deanna found out she would have had him blank, if you want to fill in the blank. Um, Brett is, for a long time, was uh, a big kid. He was a grown-up kid with a lot of money, a lot of land, um, the entire family kind of around him. He supported just, uh, just about everybody. And the one guy, the one stabilizing force in his life, the guy that didn't let him get away with anything was Irv. Irv called him out on it. Now, Irv was a man's man. You know, you drink and hunt and fish and punch your buddies in the shoulders and all that kind of stuff. And some of the other things, as a guy's code, you look the other way. But between Irv and Indiana, they really – kind of put him back into the straight and narrow. So when you talk about why that went away, I think Brett rel became relatable in so many ways. Go back to when he had the Vicodin problem and he had to go into rehab for a while and he had the drinking problem. And you can talk about some of the addictions that he had had. I think because he, he went to the podium, he sat down with Ron Wolf, who traded for him right there not by his side, his wife, Deanna, next to him, very sincere. And he was a guy's guy. He was, he was, you know, I mean, I wasn't here at that point in time. I got here in 99, but everybody will tell you, he was one of us. He was a hunter. He was a fisherman. He was a guy that was fighting downtown. You and I. He was relatable. Down. He was relatable. You you could find him and Chimura and Frankie Bag and Donuts, Winters, their center, all running around downtown. And yeah, they were chasing women. And yeah, they were having a few drinks. And yeah, they were buying drinks, but they were all one of us. And then everybody looked in the mirror and said, well, I've got a lot of the same problems he has. Well, he's just like me, and he's such a relatable, nice guy. I, I think that's the reason Barb has a different aura about him. And then he, I think, really, give credit to Deanna Barb for everything that she put up with. She is the one that stuck by him and said, we are going to change the way you do things. And I think Brett became really appreciative of her and she helped him grow up in a world in which he was I mean you had to see it here when when I got here I mean there was nothing Brett could do I mean nothing he could have hunted on any land he could have fished on any land I and mean, he could have hunted uh, sitting in the back of his truck in the in the parking lot at Lambeau Field and everybody would have thought it was great you know <laughs> and there's a people in this world that can get away with that kind of stuff and he was one of them and 
I think that's the reason things went crescendo. And here's the other thing. I don't think Brett realized in Green Bay, he was an enormous whale in a very small pond. In New York, there's him, there's Jeter. You go through the list of great players that have been in that city that were in that city. He's just one of another. And he's the old guy of the group. I don't think he ever expected for somebody to look at him and go, you're Brett who cares? I think it was almost arrogance as well that kind of led to part of that downfall. The beauty of this podcast is you never know where this is going to go. I love how people sometimes say, uh, what are you going to ask him? I, I had no idea what I was going to ask you. And I, th- 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 I knew this conversation was going to go in a hundred different directions. Take the Brett Favre argument and apply it to Alex Rodriguez. Now, Alex Rodriguez, when I was covering baseball, was my mortal enemy. He was he was a phony. He was he was a jerk. And I've had four or five run-ins with the guy. That's all before he got suspended for steroids, by the way. All of my fights with Alex Rodriguez were prior to steroids. Once he got involved in steroids, I I didn't have anything to do with him because it was nothing I could add to he was burying himself. The the weirdest part about Alex Rodriguez is this resurgence and the idea that networks are offering compete clauses in their contracts so that he could be on goddamn Fox Sports and ESPN and he's buying baseball teams and Jennifer Lopez, who I thought was a smart person, suddenly has no judgment whatsoever. And I have to ask, like, you mentioned guys that could get away with anything. How is Alex Rodriguez beloved now? You mentioned it. I honestly, every, we were watching the New Year's Eve festivity. Uh, yeah, Lopez. I saw the same thing. And I went, him? This is how we're going out on 2020? But we were in a, a crowded bar, Okay. And wait, when, you were in a you were in a crowded bar in New Year's Eve 2020. I was, believe it or not, it was a private party. But yeah, we were. Wow, I have. Uh, to, there's was, was, uh, you. You just opened up a whole chain of other questions. Now I have to ask. It was kind of the we've all had it party. So oh, okay. not had 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 enough of it, but we've all had COVID. So I we, gotcha. every, All of us were down with it. At one so point. you've had you've had COVID. Yes. Yeah. So. When he took the stage, remember, he comes up on stage, he's looking at her, and he comes up and gives her a kiss, and all the kids are there. Everybody's talking about how, oh, my God, here's how what her age is, how good she looks, how good she looked at the Super Bowl, look at those kids. And then when he walked up, they're like, look at that creep. I mean, it was the whole mood thing. <laughs> so my, my thought, and this is the guy's honest truth, I, I, you asked me this question. At that moment, I thought he is only likable – because of her. If he was alone or he was just dating really? the mom of the month, Maybe. he would be that as this womanizing, steroid taking, cheated his way through baseball, loaded money creep who's dating all these hot women. And instead he found the wholesome Jennifer Lopez who still kicks that kicks ass at fifty plus. She's got great kids, beautiful family. She tries to do it the right way. So maybe she lifted him up high enough and he somewhat became semi-knowledgeable slash likable doing some of the baseball chatter. Oh, and I really believe it's because of her. He's unlistenable. He is un. That's Sunday Night Baseball. And I like Matt Vaskersian. I'm friends with Matt Vaskersian. That broadcast is unlistenable. Matty was uh, here in Milwaukee. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. I love, love 
Yes. Uh, before Matt Vaskersian got the Brewers job, uh, he was the play-by-play announcer of the Syracuse Chiefs, the AAA then of the Blue Jays, when I was working for the Syracuse Crunch hockey team. <laughs> and Matt and I hosted shows together. We would do baseball and hockey shows together. And he was the baseball guy and I was the hockey guy, which was really weird. Um and I've, we followed him throughout his career. And I remember when I was 23, probably 23 years old, uh, my first gig covering Major League Baseball was with the Rockies. And the Brewers came to town. And Matt invited uh, m- myself to to come into the visitor's booth and sit with Bill Schroeder and he doing the Brewers game. And I learned a, a ton from working and I had never sat with Matt during a Chiefs game and it, I, I I always thanked him for it and uh, I'm, I'm thrilled for his success that being said I can't watch Sunday Night Baseball I won't unless it's something I, I need to see I'll watch the highlights the next day what year was that that you were out in Colorado so I got to Colorado this was 98 okay no 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 sorry sorry 96 sorry i left in 98 um so i got there mid-season uh 96 i graduated in may and i got i i moved out to denver um when i left syracuse and i started out and i asked if i could cover rockies games and it was weird because i was producing a morning show i was 23 years old but i just wanted to get my chops you know what i mean i just wanted to uh get involved and so i started covering the rockies and this is when they sold out every game i mean every game and uh eric young and Vinny castilla and dante bichette and larry walker and i covered every game of larry walker's mvp year in 97 which was a fantastic year and then in 98 uh denver hosted the all-star game and i got the gig in seattle and so I left the last thing I did in Denver before moving to physically moving to Seattle was that 98 all-star game. And I was walking around. You talk about like the mayor, like I had, I didn't have a care in the world because right. that game was the, that was it. I was, I was done. That's where I had my mascot, uh, a disaster story, which is, this is a now classic story. Cause I got hired, I think by the score in Chicago uh, to do like a like a stringing assignment, and it was like you know four voicers. You had to go on a show, and then I had to do an interview, and I had to interview an umpire because some host on the score wanted to do a segment on the on the on an umpire. So I set it up ahead of time that I was going to interview an umpire, and I walked down the tunnel, and I knew the lady who who worked you know like the, the the usher there, and I said which door is the umpire's room, and she said uh, second door on the right. She's wrong. <laughs> it was the third door on the right. The second door on the right at Coors Field is the mascot's changing area. And that's oh, wow. where when I opened the door, I saw every major league mascot. Because remember, this is the home run derby. Right. Every major league mascot with their head on the floor. And I cannot get that image out of my head. I've seen... Philly fanatic, Mr. Met, Mariner Moose, the Devil Ray guy, the, the every, every every mascot I've seen them, uh, Dinger, the the Rockies guy, I've seen them all with their heads, ch- like I've I've seen every mascot decapitated. I can't look at mascots the same way. And I remember taking my kids, you know, five years ago to a Phillies game where it was the fanatic's birthday, and all these uh, uh, mascots came to wish him a happy birthday, and I said. 
this is like some kind of torture for me. Right. Right. Here's here's a good mascot story. I'll tell you this one. So it was the last game at County Stadium. Uh-huh. I remember ESPN used to do that tour where they would do all these last games. And so Joe Morgan's there and Linda Cohn is there. And I'm working for the flagship time as part of the broadcast. And so we were going to do take with Linda Cohn for ESPN around the inner workings of then County Stadium. Remember, they had that beer barrel out in center field. So if it was a home run, Bernie would be in that beer barrel and then slide down the slide. And years ago, he would pour beer on his head. Well, then that became something that you shouldn't do. So then he would pull a chute and the balloons would come out. <laughs> so and they were bringing back all the old greats, you know, and, and the guy that was going to be introduced was Warren Spock, best lefty to ever, ever throw a ball. So Euchre had this big tribute to Warren Spahn. He was preparing, and we were we were all a part of this. Well, we're we're out in, in center field. Linda Cohn grabs me and says, "Hey, I really want to go down Bernie's slot." I said, "Well, let's go." You know, so we go out there. So we go out, and it's myself and a couple of local television reporters. And we're all filming this. Linda does her thing and woo goes down the slide. When you get down to the bottom of the slide, I went first. So, because she's like, well, if I slide real fast, will you catch me? I said, okay, no problem. So, as I get down there, there's this trap door in the floor. And I just looked down. I said, what's this? And I pulled it. And, oh, my God, it was like, <laughs> balloons everywhere. That went out, right? And I closed it real quick. And I, I could see there was like one balloon left. And so, I'm like, oh, my God. You know, they must have blown these up this morning. This is now like 6 a.m. for a, a 1 o'clock you know, first pitch. So we're like, oh my God, I, I got to tell these people to get more balloons. So we go around, we do our thing during the day and it's still in the back of my mind. So I'm like, okay, before I go upstairs, I sit down, I'm going to do a one-on-one with Euchre at that point. I'm going to go and tell somebody. So I'm walking around the bowels of this place. And if you remember County Stadium, it was an armpit. I never, was, I was never there. Oh, my God. It was – we're doing interviews one night with Fernando Pica and the, the sewage pipe above his locker. Oh, gross. Oh, it was awful. So like I Oakland. find Brewer and Bernie's, you know, doing that, you know, and how they do, how those mascots do. And I'm like, hey, I need you to focus for a second. And I know there's a guy in there, right? We're sitting there talking. I said, look, all the balloons are gone up in the chalet. You need to go pull up more balloons. And he keeps doing that, you know. And I'm like, hey, you idiot, whoever's in there, you need to go blow up more balloon. <laughs> so he kind of waves these. And, and I know at this point in time, if he had a middle finger, he was going to give it. Because I'm grabbing him by the head going, listen to me, quit screwing around. You've got to go up blow more balloons. So the beginning of the game, and they're bringing out all the greats. And now when they close County Stadium, they're bringing back all the old Packers that have played there too. But they're bringing out for the pregame all the great brewers. So there's Robin Young, Paul Molitor, and you start going through this list, sure. Cecil for Gorman Thomas. And then they say, and the best lefty of all, and they bring him out of the outfield into, uh, with the old Milwaukee Brewer uh, uh, bullpen cart, the baseball head with the Brewer logo on it. And here's Warren Spahn. And you see Bernie and the lights are going off and it's saying, go Brewers. He slides down the side. He lifts the chute. Unbelievable. <laughs> One balloon. So later that night, we get done doing the closing of County Stadium, and it's myself and my engineer, and Euchre's uh, long gone. He did this a little quick, so we were going to go down and get some dirt. And there is the guy walking, holding the suit, 
that was Bernie Brewer. And he looks at me and he said, I thought you were playing. I said, no, you <laughs> son of a bitch. I told you I let all the balloons go. And he, he was just like mortified. He said, I almost lost my job. I, there you go. That was my mascot story. Very nice. Very nice. Um, <laughs> uh I know there's a lot of uh, stuff pending. Uh, what can you say about the departure from the radio station that I met you at? The uh, I know they used to be 105.7. I don't know what number they are now. Uh, uh, in Milwaukee. And I've been there 10 years, uh, going on 10 years. And I started the network, the Michael Sports Talk Network. I owned the company originally and built the company off. And it, it just, you know, it comes a time where corporations take over and what we do and and the reason i love radio is there's a romance to it we are informative and, and i know so many people smarter than me it, 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 uh, i'm i'm like doug the guy standing at the end of the line of the bar again you know, but I, I there's a romance to entertainment and i'm an old radio guy i love it i, I love podcasts i love the ability to, to connect with people and when you start to get and feel as if there's, you're being programmed away from what it is, your instincts are telling you. And I, I've been at WOW in Cincinnati, a big, huge stick all throughout the country. I've been at some of the better radio stations. Obviously, they worked for a long time. I was there when they won a Super Bowl. Um, when you did things your way, you were very successful in doing it. When you're not successful because somebody else helped you how to do it, you start to fidget and it doesn't become fun anymore. And so I had been approached by some other people. They said, what do you want to do? And so I just kind of felt it was the right time. And I think the company kind of felt it was the right time to do. Um, obviously there's a lot of things coming up pipe that are new, but the podcast like this, also what I'm starting to do a little more of. But the network was my baby. I, I had built something that they said that be done in the state of Wisconsin very, very, very conservative state in that realm. And I, we did it. And we did what everybody said they couldn't. So I thought, you know what? Let's, it's not that I wanted to start over. It's just that I wanted to be free. And I kind of wanted to be happy. So, I mean, I got some things that are cooking. And, and I'm, I'm really, so I love learning. I'm learning all the new technologies when it comes to podcasts, when it comes to the ability to screens and voice work and all that kind of stuff. So it's not that I'm some old dinosaur and I'm completely technologically unsound. It's just that I wanted to So uh, I'm hoping to announce the thing here in the next week or two. And, uh, I'll be back and I'll have yeah, you on. you'll come back on Sports with Friends. Yeah. And we'll, uh, uh, we'll talk about it. Well, we're not allowed to repeat any stories. Um, no, the one thing about podcasts that I found, and I, you know, you know, the story with me and podcasts go back a long ways. We actually predate the word. Um, when I was at Major League Baseball, uh, they talked about – um, we had this exclusivity deal. I, I don't know if you remember in the late nineties, there was a thing called real audio. Yeah. And we had, when we signed on our show, they put us on an exclusivity deal with real audio and actually took us off satellite radio, which was weird because back then satellite radio wasn't where it was at. It was, it was real. And uh, we were on real audio. And then after the 2003 season, uh, we, our exclusivity window ended. And we had a meeting and I'll, I, I would take credit if I thought of it. It's, it's not my idea. So this is not my story, but the way this all went down, 
the we had this long conference table and there were a bunch of people, guys, girls, there were a bunch of MLB executives. And they said, how can we broaden the exposure of this show that Daryl Hamilton and I and myself were doing? And the idea was, hey, what, why don't we figure out how much of the radio show we can turn into an MP3 that makes it an easy download? And then on the homepage of MLB.com, put the link to the show when we're not live. So 23 hours or 21 hours of the day, that link would happen and people could download the, the MP3 of the of, of our show and uh, download it and sync it to this hot new device, the iPod. Right. And we were like, yeah, sure, let's do that. And we've right. been doing the show and Daryl, I'll give Daryl the credit for this because he was obsessed with Seinfeld just like I was. And Daryl, um, he would always crack up at the episode where Elaine takes all of the birth control sponges. Right. And then has to decide if you're sponge worthy. Right. And Daryl, we would do our show and people would call up with dumb trade ideas. I mean, you did radio for years. Like, you know, these some of these dumb trade ideas. And a guy would call up, I want to trade Noma to the Astros. You know, some stupid thing. And we had heard this word called podcast. And we thought it was like a trendy, goofy. We made fun of it. And Daryl would go, now you think you're going to get on the podcast with crap like that? Are right. you po- are you podcast worthy? You're not right. podcast worthy. This is this segment's not podcast worthy. And that was our joke for the pretty much the whole 2004 season. And right. then in 2005, we heard that Ricky Gervais had a podcast. And we were like, we'd been doing this for 18 months. Right. So we may, Daryl and I may be one of the world's first podcasters. You're the Lewis and Clark of podcasts. (laughs) We were. And and, and it's funny because I've created podcasts that failed. You know what I mean? Like there have been shows that just don't go anywhere and they don't do anything. And I had a show in 2011 that I did with Daryl didn't work. And when I created sports with friends, it wasn't originally called that. And it was going to be a show that I was going to try to get Daryl to do. And then he uh, was killed. And after he was killed, um, I remember uh, I didn't want to do it. And somebody said to me, you got to keep doing the podcast. I said, well, the only people I want to talk to are my friends. And my mother was obsessed with the game Words with Friends. Right. And I said, well, why don't I do sports with friends? And that's literally how the show came about. There you go. And, you know, 284 episodes later, I mean, we're we're rocking and rolling. And my my favorite example, and we did a tribute to Daryl on episode 100, but I, I, the, 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 well, the person who's been on the most is Latroy Hawkins. Because Latroy Hawkins, you remember Latroy Hawkins from his days with the Brewers. Uh, Latroy Hawkins, um, when his in 2015, when I didn't know what the podcast was going to be, uh, I lent him a recorder, and he took it on the road with him with the Blue Jays, and wow. he interviewed like Josh Donaldson, and that's like episode. Uh, here I have the list. I I, I can tell you, he interviewed uh, Josh Donaldson, and it's episode 27. Episode 27, LaTroy Hawkins interviews Josh Donaldson because he, they were sitting on the plane. Right. 
That's cool. And it was cool. And it, it, it was fun and because we didn't have a drive. I didn't have a plan. So he's been on the most. Eli Manning's been on five times and we need him to come on. And the funny part about it is Eli was going to eclipse Latroy until we found out that Latroy Hawkins is the godfather of, of Patrick Mahomes, the Chiefs quarterback. That I didn't did know. And you want to talk about Mahomes. Well, so we're at Super Bowl, and Mahomes is scheduled to come on my program. He's with Lee Steinberg. Okay. Oh, okay. Lee, the agent. Lee gives me a wink and a nod and says, I think I got him for you. Hang tight. Patrick comes over and sits down. Unbelievably nice kid. It's so nice. Sits down. We're sitting there kind of BSing. And I look at my computer. There's breaking news. Alex Smith has been traded from the Kansas City Chiefs. And I looked at him and I said, well, congratulations on you being starting quarterback. He has no idea we're on the air and says, what the blank are you talking about? I turned my computer around and he sits back and he sighs. He smiles. And Lee is now behind him, kind of tapping him on the shoulder. And he looks at me and says, no. And I said, yeah, that's how he found out he was going to be the starting quarterback for Kansas Oh, wow. It was That's in awesome. There, yeah, we were sitting up there for Radio Row, and he was making rounds. Well, I called Latroy when, when the Chiefs made the playoffs the first time. So this is the year prior to uh, last year, uh, 2018. And Latroy's social media was like gaga for, for the Chiefs. And I yeah. said, what, do you have an investment? What, what's your story here? And he's like, that's my godson. And I said, no way. And he goes, not only that, he goes, you played catch with him. I go, excuse me? And I was told this in 2000 and I think two or three, Patrick Mahomes is four or five years old. Pat Mahomes brought him to the Fort Myers twin spring training. And I was hanging out because my guys there were Jock Jones and Tory Hunter and, and Latroy Hawkins. Those were, those were my guys. And, um, Pat Mahomes was with them and I didn't have not have a relationship with Pat Mahomes, but he wasn't playing. So I didn't see him nearly as much. I'd only met him a couple of times, but young Patrick Mahomes had a little nerf ball and he threw it at me and I caught it and I tossed it back to him and he loved it. So he threw it back to me and I played catch with this kid and I don't remember it or I didn't. I, I remember it now, but <laughs> the, uh, the God's honest truth. Um, I think I'd be sending him a Nerf football or something uh, and saying, hey, can you sign this? Well, to, uh, Uncle well, I have a running gag. I have a running gag on the show because. I my my whole thing has said, I you know I've said number one, um, I you know uh, Jacob Degrom babysat my kid. I've told I've said that on your radio show. In 2014, I took my daughter to a uh, to City Field, and the security person that was supposed to watch her for five minutes so I could interview Terry Collins literally left because of some emergency. And Terry and Jacob Degrom was a rookie, and he said, "I'll watch her," and he watched her for six minutes so I could interview Patrick Mahomes. So my joke is, Jacob Degrom babysat my kid. That's that was that was my my standard joke. And for years, my joke was uh, Donovan McNabb helped me move, 
because my senior year at Syracuse was uh, Donovan McNabb's freshman year, and he knew me because I was the sideline reporter of the of the team. And when I got the job in Denver, I didn't have any furniture, but I had boxes of stuff. And I tried to shove a box into the trunk of my Saturn that didn't fit. <laughs> and Donovan McNabb comes driving down, uh, you know, the, the, the road, um, Comstock, and he sees it and he goes, you guys are pitiful to me and my friend Larry. And he goes, put any. So I put the ba- the box in his truck and he drove the 600 feet to the mailbox so I could mail this 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 box to Denver, Colorado. And so my when Rush Limbaugh made the comment of, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, about Donovan McNabb being a black quarterback and black quarterbacks have a better advantage and all this stuff. And he says all these inappropriate things. And I was on Fox Sports Radio and someone said, what do you make of the Donovan McNabb situation? And I didn't know it. And all I said was, well, he helped me move. So that's that's my running gag. So now I have a running gag that is Donovan McNabb helped me move, Jacob DeGrom babysat my kid, and I played catch with Patrick Mahomes. There you go. And that's all it. three things are true statements, but not nearly what you think they are. Right. Yeah. It's not like <laughs> Jacob DeGrom is stopping over to your house to watch. Right. <laughs> like he's, he, you know, eating out of my pantry. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. No, and, buddy of mine, he was a kid. And his babysitter uh, dated Pete Rowe. So <laughs> we actually played softball together years years later. And we were talking one night. We're all sitting around. And uh, they started, you know, obviously the conversation goes, should he or should he not be in the Hall of Fame? And uh, he busts out. I mean, this is in Cincinnati. He busts out with this, I hate Pete Rowe. <laughs> and we're thinking it's because of the gambling. We're like, just because he gambled? You know, no. He used to come over <laughs> once his dad left. The babysitter was there, and they did things on the couch. But dad would buy a certain – remember when you get pop bottles in the case, the old wood cases, and then the pop bottles were all in there individually, the seven-ounce pep. So his dad would go out and for the week buy a pound of lunch meat, the pickle loaf, an olive loaf, and all these different right, things, right, German right. stuff and Italian stuff in Cincinnati. And – that was their lunch meat. Well, when the girl would babysit, he'd come over, make this big half-pound sandwich, eat up three, four, five slices of bread, and drink four or five Pepsis, and Dan would come off and take his belt off and chase four or skip around the house going, damn, Dan, 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 Dan. like, I didn't eat any, Dad. I didn't eat any. Eat Rose. Oh, man. That's so funny. Um You've been you've been more than generous with your time. Uh, thank you so much for for coming on. How can people find you uh, if they want to know what your next move is? And you know, you realize that Milwaukee is going to listen to this podcast. You know, once you tweet this, they follow you. They love you so much. Once you retweet this podcast, I'm telling you, everyone in Milwaukee is going to pray for us to do a show together. Yeah, it is. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Bill underscore Michael M I C H A D L S. Find me on Facebook under Diesel Michael, uh, Instagram, same thing. Um, you know, all those different platforms. Uh, I'm on Twitch under the same. Uh, there's Bill Michael's YouTube channel as well. And like you, I'm trying to follow in your footsteps with the podcast. People say, uh, people That's great. But, uh, but those are the ways to get a hold of me. And uh, I'm just, you know what? They said to me, you're going to take two, three, four months off. And, and, and I said, you know, I, that was great for like two days. Oh, you—that not you. You're a you're a hustler. 
You, the, the people that don't they, they can't do that they can't do yeah. that and uh, it, it's an impossible feeling uh no. my agent called me I, I went through a hell of a divorce last year and it was it just was draining which is another reason i kind of walked away but um my agent called me and said, you know what turn your phone off for about a week just go enjoy yourself and that lasted about two days and i called him up and i said hey is anybody calling you said, yeah i got about 10 phone calls that you're not answering the phone and i said why don't you go ahead and forward them over? Let's let's start talking. So it, it took me all of about 24, 48 hours. I recharged the batteries. I got to do a different integrate. Ah, love it. And I then love the Packers, it. I'm ready to go. Yeah, well, you know, if the Packers win, then they're going to be like, I can't believe you talk Packers. And if the Packers lose, no one's going to notice that we didn't talk Packers. So I, right. it, it's, it, what what can I say? I hope they win. And if they win, they win, you know, and Brady's a cheater. So just, just win. That's all I can say. I, what do I know? Yeah would be the type of year though that they would know i mean the bucks were really really playing good basketball and then COVID hit they kind of came crashing down in the bubble the badgers have won the big 10 we're heading off the ncaa tournament the brewers were set to have a pretty good season remember we, they had just announced christian yelich signed a long-term deal yep. they were ready to crescendo with enthusiasm and then two days later and we I called that out. right we said we said once once all these guys were gonna you know because of the cba they're so worried about the rules changing all the superstars have to sign long-term deals including arenado including uh the uh the, uh, trout you know and, and harper and all these guys that were going to sign and i said watch yelich has to sign and that was weird and you know look we can go down a whole rabbit hole because i was not a fan of the 2020 season i didn't think it should happen and i hope that if they start it they do so and don't bitch about how much money they're losing right you know the nhl said it very well they said we can't afford to be out of sight out of mind right. and i buy that if that's yeah. worth a billion dollars to you fine but in the day off between games five and six of this of the world series this year manfred comes out and the first thing he says is we're losing eight billion dollars i don't want to hear it i i don't i, I don't want to hear it then don't play the ugliest thing about this was the battling back and forth over money. And then Manfred is caught saying, well, we were only going to play 60 games anyway. Well, if that was the case, then why in the hell did you put the fan base through the back and forth monetarily? All right, we went there. So, okay, then, fine. But you know what the, the, the true crime was? The true crime was, number one, if, if, if for the Cubs owner and the Cardinals owner, they came out and the first thing they said was that they're hemorrhaging money. And all I had to say was, you want to take the, the numbers? How are you? 2019, 2018, 2017, 2016. You, your profits were so high that you have slush funds that could pay the players for 162 games. That wasn't a problem. That's number one. Number two, you notice that Gary Bettman and, and Don Fear, not only did they come up with the bubble before the NBA did, their bubble and they extended their collective bargaining by four years yeah. now yeah. baseball what i would have said was shut down blame it on COVID. people would have been mad people yeah. would have been mad but not as mad as they're gonna be when we right. get this vaccine going and everybody's welcoming fans back and that's when you're gonna have a labor stoppage Right. And you'll right. see you'll and you'll see that this sport is that's that's a that's a that's a confounded crisis by this pandemic and baseball should have not played 2020. 
And I know Dodger fans hate when I say that, but I, I believe it. I believe it in my heart. We can talk about that and much, much more. Bill Michaels, thank you so much for doing this. Now, he gave us social media out, so I can say if there's anything that you heard that Bill said, not me, but Bill said that you have an issue with, do me a favor, reach out to him directly and leave me the hell out of it. For Bill Michaels, I'm Seth Everett. Thank you for listening to another edition of Sports with Friends. If you want me to stay, I'll be around today to be available for you to see. I'm about to go, and then you'll know for me to stay. I got to be me. Smile, count my days. I'm gone. Forget reaching me by phone because I promise I'll be gone for a while. When you see me again, I hope that you have been the kind of person that you really are now. You got to get in straight. How could I ever be late when you're my woman taking up my time?